The college football playoff committee, the final four, uh, the college, I guess, you know, more apt, more accurate, the CFP final four, uh, was announced on Sunday by the committee. And there is controversy. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joining the sports by David Kenyon of Bleacher Report. And David, always good to have you on the show. Uh, let's start with the final four here. Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama. Are they the four best teams? Bob, good to be here. As always, thanks for having me on. I, uh, I do not agree with the, the process that led to this result, although we will certainly get to the conversation of, yeah, Alabama's a deserving championship-caliber team. It's just that I don't understand how you leave out Florida State as an unbeaten champion. Okay, so if you were the person establishing the criteria – what would be the criteria in David Kenyon's world? So I, I certainly am looking at the record um, with the strength of schedule being there. Um, you look at the comparable team that Florida State played. So between strength of schedule, overall record, and comparable opponents, I'm looking at those. I'm starting with that. And quite frankly, I, I am avoiding what uh, the committee did yesterday, which which seems to be – we're, we're considering vibes here, too. What do I feel like, uh, which is annoying because that's certainly not part of the criteria. It's just, well, we felt Alabama would be more competitive, but that's, that's totally discounting everything that Florida State had done, especially with the defense had, had been so dominant in these last two weeks without, um, without its quarterback, Jordan Travis. So I, I'm just annoyed um, from that perspective, but that would be the process I would use. Um, the, the objective things, uh, certainly strength of schedule has some sort of subjectivity built into it. But those, those are the things that I would focus on and I would land with Florida State ahead of um, Texas and Alabama and Texas getting in with the head-to-head being a factor used there. Okay. All that being said, does at least part of you, you know, think that, well, Florida State without Jordan Travis wouldn't be able to compete against these other three teams? And there's certainly a, a piece of me that thinks Alabama is more likely to compete more, but if we're talking about who's more likely to compete, well, where's Georgia? Uh, Georgia's absolutely a top-four team in the country if we're just going on that perspective. And, and if we are doing it that way, that, that's fine, but let's make it what it is in that case and rank nobody ever and just decide who we think the, the teams are at the end of the season. But, of course, you know, I know that that's not going to happen. Uh, but that's that's the annoying part of this. If we're just doing this as a subjective exercise at the end of the season of who the four teams are, um, it's just frustrating in that way. But to your point, yeah, I, I absolutely believe Alabama will give Michigan a, a great game. I think they probably are more likely to do uh, to do that than FSU has currently constructed. But you know, it's just it's the circular conversation. If we're talking about likelihoods, we're not really doing objective rankings. We're just subjective. So let, let's go in that direction if that's what we're doing. You mentioned Michigan, the overall, overall number one seed, and didn't even play a Power 5 conference team in non-conference play. You know, should that have factored into what, Michigan be number one? And then be, and if, if that should have factored in, should Washington, because of the strength of schedule, been the number one seed? It's, it's all a challenge because you can make so many arguments in, in many different directions about it because you are absolutely correct. 
Um, I think the one thing that at least is worth mentioning um, is Michigan did have UCLA scheduled for this year and UCLA backed out late. So that's, that's kind of a, a function of, of that. So mm-hmm. there, there's something to be said in Michigan's defense in that, in that stage. They didn't you know, actively schedule East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. Uh, it, it was a, a matter of a late decision from UCLA. Nonetheless, it is what Michigan faced, and it's a fair thing to point out. What I will say is when you look at what Michigan did early in the season, uh, whether that's non-conference or the beginning of Big Ten, unlike the other teams, is Michigan controlled those games to a level that nobody else had done. They won every game by 20-some points. Into October, it was getting to 40-some points. No team scored more than 10 points on, um, on Michigan until November. So the way Michigan had just flat-out dominated the entire season, I think, has to go into account as well. Back to Washington for a minute. What was most impressive about Washington's second win this season over Oregon on Friday night in Las Vegas? And how's Washington won all these close games down the stretch? Yeah, part two of that is is what's most impressive for me is they continued to win those close games. And, you know, you look at you look at the teams that do it, it's just a credit to coaching, late game execution, the players' mentality. That's what the most impressive thing is for me because Washington found ways to win and they did it in different ways. You had, you know, the ugly, ugly, ugly game against Arizona State where a pick six really saves Washington. You had the week before when they beat Oregon the first time. The offense came up clutch with a late touchdown the defense responds in that way you had the higher scoring games uh, you know whether it was Stanford or USC where Washington's offense really picked up a pretty bad defensive performance you had going to Oregon State where the defense picked up an offense that didn't score in the second half of the game you know it's just they found every way to win and did it in just about every way imaginable and then I think even you throw in Washington State with a kick at the end. You've got offense, defense, and special teams just finding ways when it matters most. And then to your point of the second Oregon game, it's that resilience again where they fly out to that 20-3 to lead. And Oregon comes back and takes the lead. And you're thinking, all right, here you go again, Washington fading a little bit in the second half, another close game, and Oregon's been so hot. Oregon's going to be the one to take this, and Washington just, again, finds a way. And that's so impressive that they've been able to do that all season. David Kenyon, Bleacher Report, curling in the sports zone. Georgia uh, became the first team that was number one in the next-to-last poll and not make the uh, Final Four. What surprised you the most about Georgia's performance or maybe lack thereof on Saturday against Alabama? It's a great question. I think the way that Georgia came out, the first drive looked clinical, and it was just no. There was nothing Alabama could do on that possession. Like Georgia was in control the entire time, and it was just like, oh, okay, yeah, Georgia came to play. And then what surprised me was that it just kind of ended from there. You know, for the next, I'd say, 25, 30 minutes where Georgia just struggled to move the ball again. Um, and we have not seen that all season. Um, you know, they, they started slow early in, in the games, early in the season. Uh, in September in particular, 
they had a lot of first quarters that were pretty lackluster, but once they started going, Georgia was just incredibly difficult to stop. Um, and so starting, starting as hot as they did, I figured Georgia was just going to be able to score probably 35 points or so. And Alabama did such a good job, as they've done so many times with Nick Saban, to uh, adapt, respond, make the adjustments, um, and, and really just control the game from there. Obviously, the, the big takeaway uh, in the third quarter there, the mishandled exchange on Georgia's reverse that was really well blocked, too, that if, if that exchange happens, Georgia might actually get like a 40-yard run or something like that. Instead, it's a fumble inside the red zone. Alabama kicks a field goal. And go figure, Alabama wins by field goal late. You know, speaking of Alabama adjusting and saving, et cetera, you know, it's amazing what they were, say, week three against you know South Florida after Milrow was benched following the Texas game. I don't remember uh, – you know, I've been thinking about this. I've had two days to think about this. I haven't come up with an answer yet. I don't remember a quarterback that has you know, gone from what he was early in the season to now, then Milrow. Can you think of somebody that falls into that category? No, as far as a one-season progression, he is, he's absolutely up there. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy who – like you said, with South Florida, they benched him. Saban kind of explained it away as, oh, we wanted to get all three guys reps. Well, no, I'm sure that's not entirely the case. I think he's covering a little bit in that moment of trying to protect his quarterback. But you don't bench a quarterback that you expect to be your starter and lead you to the college football playoff just because, well, we wanted to get some other guys some reps. No, you do that in blowouts, not not starts. So to go from benched to – I mean, Heisman Trophy finalists come out tonight. He certainly won't win, but they're guaranteed to have four. That's the way that the system works right now. There's a real chance that Milrow is the fourth person in that finalist group with Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, and Michael Penix. Like, that's incredible what he's been able to do this year. I think from a year to year, you probably look at Joe Burrow's first year at LSU where he was, you know, fine. He was, he was okay. To absolutely destroying every record imaginable the next year. That's the only, uh, or that's the most recent year-to-year yeah. comparison that's been so dramatic. But as far as a September to December, Milrow, I mean, th- this has been ridiculous in a pretty cool way. Okay, you mentioned the Heisman Trophy. Let, let's get onto that here. You know, Jaden Daniels, uh, did he win the Heisman Trophy uh, when uh, Oregon and uh, Bo Nix lost last Friday night? I do think that that is the case. I, I certainly would have gone with Nix. Um, leading into that game, I think Penix certainly helped himself to to the level of getting a little more respect. But I think he, I think Penix needed a massive game in the pick, in the Pac-12 championship to to really overtake both of them. What Jaden Daniels has done and the production he's put up is quite frankly unmatched as far as the rest of the the nation goes this season. Um, and he, he certainly padded his numbers a little bit with uh, an eight-touchdown day against Georgia State late in the season. But what he'd just been doing so consistently was, was really, really awesome to watch this season. And the, the big thing that kind of helps him, too, is it's not like he evaporated in those, those tough games, the three that they lost. The defense gave up 45, 55, and 42. So 
you can only <laughs> expect so much from your quarterback. So three loss, uh, three loss teams rarely have a Heisman winner, but Lamar Jackson, Robert Griffin, those are some of the guys who've recently did it, along with Tim Tebow. So there, there's precedent for it. It's tough to do, but you got to be transcendent, and that's what Jane Daniels had done this year. Why or how has Daniels improved so much since leaving ASU and playing the last two years at LSU? A lot of answers that I think I cannot confidently say, you know, this is the exact thing, but you're going to have the natural development of a quarterback over time, ideally. It doesn't always happen, but there's certainly something to be said for experience, and he got plenty of that at uh, Arizona State before going to LSU. You have uh, the, the system in place at LSU um, just got so much better when Brian Kelly um, came into town, brought his guys in. You have some really awesome talent. Uh, ASU certainly was not lacking it when Daniels was there, but, I mean, Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas this year with LSU have, have just been really, really good Um special players near the red zone too. Kyron Lacey, a transfer coming in um, from uh, Louisiana a couple of years ago has, has been a really nice red zone target too. So there's just a lot of weapons in a really functional system. Um, along with the, the natural development you hope happens. I think that's the, the long answer to a short question that it could be any one of those three primarily. Um, and, and as we know, looking back, ASU was, not exactly in the best hands uh, down down late in Daniel's tenure there. So I think the stability of LSU has certainly helped a lot in that regard as well. Okay, so let's flip back to the Final Four here. Michigan's a small favorite against Alabama. What are your initial thoughts in the in that game? If it's a lot of points, Alabama wins. If it's not a lot of points, Michigan wins. Um, Michigan's defense is if it's if it's not Iowa as the best defense in the country, Michigan is right there. Um, you just have the advantage relative to that conversation of Michigan having a functional offense, but I digress. Um, Michigan is going to have to keep this game low scoring because if Milrow is starting to run wild, I don't, I don't see Michigan being able to match what Alabama can do. I mean, you saw that last year with TCU where, hey, they scored 45 points, but TCU's defense, as good as it was, is not as good as even Alabama's this year, and this this isn't even the best Alabama defense that we've seen. That it's it's just going to be Michigan relying on its strength all season of incredible defense and a, a powerful running game. It's really going to hurt not to have Zach Zinter, who, if you watch the Michigan Ohio State uh, game, star right guard or star um, offensive guard who went out of that game, um, and that. It showed against Iowa for sure. That, that's a great defense there, but Michigan struggled to run the ball. They got a couple short touchdowns, but they, they were not really much of a factor on the ground. And Alabama has two corners, Terry and Arnold and Kool-Aid McKinstry, who may both be All-American picks this year, so it's going to be really tough to throw the ball to. So Michigan has to control the clock, run the ball well, uh, lean on the defense to, to get this one. Uh, otherwise, Alabama certainly is is a quality team, capable of winning the championship, and I, I definitely think you're going to see a close game. Texas is in the CFP for the first time, headed to New Orleans, a four-point favorite against Washington. What stands out in that matchup to you? I think the, the pseudo home field is something that's really been sticking with me right now. 
I'm not surprised Michigan was able to get to Pasadena. Um, top team does not get a, an official pick, but their preference is taken into consideration. Uh, I, was, I was hoping for Washington's sake that as the number two team, they would get the Rose Bowl. Um, shorter trip, easier for the fans and everything. So Texas instead is going to have um, a, a nice little trip to New Orleans. So Texas will be well, rep- well represented there, and I think that is going to be a factor to some degree. But ultimately, what I think you're going to have to see is can Washington pass the ball as well as we think they can, but sometimes this season was not able to do because the Texas run defense is absolutely dominant. Uh, they, they did so well all season. I mean, Big 12 championship, Ollie Gordon, the second from Oklahoma State, he's, he's probably a first-team All-American. He's, he's been really, really good since uh, shooting into the lineup in late September, and they held them to about 30 yards. So what Texas has been able to do, if Dylan Johnson is not able to run the ball well, Washington is, is happy to lean on Penix and, and a really good receiving core, but you, you definitely need to see Romo Dinze, Jalen Polk, and Jalen McMillan uh, play up to their ability and Washington to have the passing game we know they're capable of doing um, and have that travel because it's going to be tough, it's going to be loud, and Washington, that, that's what it comes down to for me. Because I think Texas is going to score on Washington's defense. I think that's been made pretty clear this year. The best game is Washington is going to give up some points but they're also capable of putting up a lot of them. So that's going to be the matchup for me is that Washington offense versus Texas secondary. Okay, David, last up, uh, the transfer portal is filled with quarterbacks, including Oklahoma's Dylan Gabriel and Ohio State's Cal McCord in the last couple of days. Which of the many quarterbacks out there in the portal uh, would you be targeting if you're at a school looking for a quarterback? Yeah, what, what a start to this morning. I mean – I'm hopping on the computer and I'm seeing uh, that uh, the the two you mentioned there with Dylan Gabriel, Cam Ward. I mean, my goodness. I, I think the the big one you're going to go after right away is Dylan Gabriel, just because he has so much experience, so much production. He he can run as well. He's your classic high end college quarterback. I don't know about NFL, but that's not the conversation. We're just looking at college. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, definitely there. Dante Moore leaving UCLA. Uh, that is fascinating. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, Oregon State losing both guys, Uyang Galele and Aiden Chiles, um, or Hey, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, but both guys there um, leaving those. Those are huge losses for Oregon State into their new era. Um, huge, huge opportunity to get some really quality quarterbacks. There's certainly no shortage of them. I mean, that's that's the start of where I go, but Riley Leonard's in there, Will Howard's in there, Tyler Van Dyke really had a, had a tough year at Miami, but I'd still take a shot on him. Kyle McCord certainly is going to be a high-end guy. There is, there's just a ton of talent going into that portal today. David, great stuff as always. We appreciate it. Thanks much, and uh, we'll be talking soon, I'm sure. You got it, Bob. David Kenyon from Bleacher Report. We covered a bunch of stuff there. 